the 2023 season of the Trust Your Voice podcast. And this is exciting because I'm streaming for the first time, never done that, in front of a live audience. And I am sparking up a conversation today with Kimiona Burke, who is with the Foundation for Excellence in Education. She's a senior fellow, uh, policy fellow there. And Nate Hoffman, who is a director of state policy and legislative strategy at the American Federation for Children. And we are going to shine some light on education, particularly in Illinois. Um, the reason why I am focusing on education this year and starting the year with this topic is a few months ago, I was part of a policy circle roundtable discussion on literacy, and I invite everyone to read the brief on literacy. And there I learned that 40% of kids across the states read at grade level. You heard that right. 40% actually read at grade level. And in large cities, sometimes it's below 30%. And I think in 2022, education and reading is a right. And reading is really the foundation for everything because how can we say that we have an education system that is educating the next innovators, leaders, entrepreneurs, if kids cannot read at grade level in, in fourth grade? So we're going to dissect that today, and I want to focus our conversation on two main components. One is, what are state policies that are actually effective in achieving uh, academic, academic achievement? And the other is, what can each of us do uh, right here, right now, on this topic? So I want to go back to uh, my guest, Kim Yona. came from Mississippi. Thank you for being here. As I said, she is a senior fellow, policy fellow at the Foundation for Excellence in Education. And in that role, she actually supports states who want to pursue a really comprehensive approach to K-3 teach uh, reading policies. And uh, she also, in a most recent role, she was the executive director in the Jackson School District of uh, Teaching and Learning. And she spearheaded as the state literacy uh, program director, the implementation for the state of Mississippi of uh, its uh, literacy-based promotion act across the state. So yes. thank you, um, Kimiona, for coming from all the way from Mississippi to be here today. Thank you so much for having me. And the weather is cooperating, so that's always nice. <laughs> I know, you brought the sunshine. <laughs> and uh, Nate Hoffman is the, as I mentioned, is a director of state policy and legislative strategy for the American Federation for Children. He held various roles in state and nation-based organizations, uh, so including Empower Illinois and also the Foundation for Excellence in Education. And he really helped state pursue impactful legislation that really empower parents to and also strengthen the overall quality of edu the education system in the state. So welcome you both and thank you for, for being here. Thank so you. let's get started, let's spark a uh, light. So um, first, you know, before we can figure out what to do, it's good to understand where we are. So Nate, I'd love for you to give us a little bit of the lay of the land here in Illinois about education. Absolutely. Where are we at? Absolutely. Well, um, first of all, thanks for, for having us here today. It's a wonderful space. Um, good to be up here with one of my favorite people in the country, Dr. Burke, um, who's pursuing all this literacy work uh, that's, that's happening all across the country. 
Um, I, I would say the state of education in Illinois is problematic. Um, and there's not, I think, a lot of people out there who would, who would maybe use that term, but I would when uh, you sort of dig into the data and understand where we're at. You um, mentioned some of the, the, the pieces of data at the, at the top, but just to add to some of those, if you look just this year, um, in the state of Illinois, only 30% of kids are uh, proficient or basically meeting state standards in English language arts reading. Only 25% in math. In the city of Chicago, our, uh, our state's largest school district, it's far less than that. It's only 20% uh, in, in um, literacy and 15% in math. And as you go down and you look at sort of uh, minority uh, children and certainly low-income children, the, the numbers are even worse. Yet at the same time, we have a 90% high school graduation rate. We have 97% of teachers in the state of Illinois who are rated as uh, basic, who get high marks on their, on their um, evaluations. There's a big disconnect there, and I don't think we're having the conversations that we need to be having. They're the hard conversations, but um, we, we can't fix a problem if, if we don't uh, even believe that it is a problem to begin with. I certainly do believe it's a problem. The pandemic obviously blew the doors off. Uh, uh, you know, the thinking of, if, if you didn't believe there was a problem before we had the pandemic, there's certainly a problem now. Um, and the only way we're going to fix it is if we, if we dive into the data, uh, believe the data, uh, and, and, and pursue some of these hard policies. Yeah. You know, I think that these numbers are really surprising for people because we often hear that some schools receive commendable m no yeah. mention, right? And, uh, and then I know I read from uh, Wirepoints, uh, dug into the uh, State Board of Education scorecard and found that there's some elementary school, for instance, in Aurora, where 2% of the kids are reading at level. And then so, Kimiona, you've worked extensively in Mississippi in teaching and learning. How, how is that possible that the entire student population is only 2% might be at level? Well, I'll say it's possible when there's not an intentional, uh, deliberate focus on identifying students early um, who may be struggling and maybe having reading difficulties. Um, it's also possible when there is um, a lack of opportunity for teachers to receive the type of professional development that they need to build their capacity to get the knowledge um, that they need. And it's possible when there's a lack of accountability a lack of accountability to ensure that, um, you know, again, students are being identified, they're getting what they need, parents and families are able to be supported uh, in, in order to be able to help their kids at home. Um, so it's, it's definitely possible when we don't keep our fingers on the pulse of the main thing. And when we think about all the other content areas, um, reading has to be the main thing. Right, and, uh, and then when you talk about reading in, in Mississippi, it's like it's reading and reading standards, right? Like so that this is the way people are teaching yes. um, reading, the way reading is being taught. So talk a little bit about that. Like what is the, the you know, what's the issue with, with, read, with teaching standards around reading? Right, so there are uh, different camps who believe that there are different ways to teach children how to read. Um, in 2013, Mississippi passed its Literacy-Based Promotion Act, and I always say we were just at a point where we had to either go big or go home, right? We had a governor at the time um, who was dyslexic, and he made literacy his, his personal um, policy, 
Um, we also had a legislature that was supportive, state chief that was supportive. So we had what I kind of call the big three, right? Those who can, can make the law and then also sign it and then make it happen. Um, so what we did is that we had a focus on the science of reading. So you may have heard something about, you know, whole language or, or balanced literacy and making sure that children have a love for reading. Well, guess what? You can't love reading if you don't know how to read, right? So our focus became we had to have this very explicit approach grounded in the science of reading or structured literacy. You may have heard it called that, where we focus on those five components of reading that the National Reading Panel Report said in the year 2000 after convening the neurologists, the, the scientists, the, the educators to say that these are the, the main pillars that our children need to be able to learn how to read and of course including right. oral language. Right. Um, so we made that our focus and we really focused on professional development, building that knowledge and supporting those who are in the classrooms every day um, and we were able to see some really good results. So the teaching standards is really important in improving academic outcome, yes. more than perhaps than even like money. It's like how things are being taught. I think I'd like to add also that right now, um, kids are facing uh, you know, a real crisis in mental health. A recent study by the US Department of Human Services said like 12% of kids between the age of 12 and 17 are of thoughts of suicide or have had a major uh, depression event that impacted their learning. And as you mentioned, with the pandemic, kids are also delayed. So there's, what research is showing that kids need to have different ways of learning. And parents' involvement in choosing the right learning environment is really key for kids to achieve their full potential. So Nate, what, can you talk about what states are doing, specifically perhaps in Illinois, to really empower parents and uh, choosing the schools that's right for their kids. Absolutely. Well, and, and let me say, uh, this is the, the first day of National School Choice Week. Um, so happy National oh, School Choice Week. Uh, and there's a ton of events happening all across the country celebrating uh, the empowerment of parents that's happening um, in, in all parts of this country. Um, 2021, we called the year of school choice. There were something like 20 states or so that passed or expanded school choice programs. Of course, 2022 was the year of literacy. And uh, what, what it's shaping up to be this year is the year of school choice and literacy um, as, as we look across the country at what states are doing. Um, you may have followed or heard about what they uh, have done in Arizona over the last couple months, right before Governor Doug Ducey left, um, where they provided universal school choice to all 1.2 million students in the, uh, in the state of Arizona, uh, put the money directly in parents' pockets and, and allowing them to choose what, whatever school they want to do, uh, go to. Florida is following suit with that. They just filed their own bill that will, um, I think, they will regain the top spot as the, the, the friendliest place for parents and for kids uh, in the country if they pass this bill. Um, but it's not just the, the usual suspects of Arizona and Florida. There's, there's other states like Oklahoma that's pursuing this. Um, our neighbor to the, to the west, uh, Iowa, um, has, they, they, they're moving aggressively with a bill that will, over time, provide all of Iowa's students access to school choice as well. So we're seeing school choice expand all across the country. Um, and what's, what's happening in Illinois um, is you may actually be surprised. We, we, have, a, we have a pretty large um, private school choice program in the state of Illinois. Uh, if you call back in 2017, uh, Governor Rauner and the legislature came to an agreement that would not only uh, change the way in which, reform the way in which we fund public education, but they also created this $100 million ta dollar tax credit scholarship program which allows uh, private donors to 
uh, give to uh, organizations like Empower Illinois and, and others that are out there, um, that, that those dollars were then transformed into scholarships for low-income and working-class kids to attend a private school of their choosing. Uh, it was passed as a, 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 a pilot program, and so we have to, we're in a fight right now to try and you know, make sure it stays around and doesn't go away. Uh, but, but it is, the, I believe, the, um, the uh, unfinished business of the school choice movement. That, 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 that's what school choice is, in my opinion. Yeah, so I mean, I think that's a great uh, segue here to talk really concretely, you know, what are the legislative measures that can be advocated for that really make an impact? So, um, you know, I want to point out that in the Policy Circle brief on literacy, I found out that actually Mississippi is the only state that saw an improvement in its reading level statewide between 2017 and 2019, thanks to this implementation of the yeah. teaching standards and phonics space. So I'd love, Kimiona, for you to go a little more detail in terms of you know, how did you shape this legislation? How was it adopted? How was it defined and adopted? And then implemented, because it required a lot of teacher training. And But yes. talk about how it was how it was defined and then adopted. So our law in Mississippi is fashioned after Florida's um, read by three law. Florida passed its law in 2002 uh, and began to see some success. Um, Florida is currently ranked sixth in the country. Um, also success for um, Hispanic students, black students. Um, and so in, in 2013, we adopted a law that was fashioned after Florida's and uh, worked with Excel and Ed the irony of me now working at Excel and Ed. Um, and I was chosen to lead that effort for the state. Um, some of the big buckets um, that we really focused on, including the professional development for our in-service teachers, for those who are in classrooms in front of kids every day. Uh, the one thing that we learned is that so many of our teachers were exiting educator preparation programs and they were not prepared. Uh, they were not prepared to teach struggling readers how to read. You know, they may have gone through the coursework and you know, this is how you teach reading, but for those teachers who were standing in front of students who were really struggling, then they were really kind of at a loss. So we decided to start with a blank slate. We adopted a professional development system statewide that focuses on the science of reading, and we decided to empower teachers with knowledge. I always say invest in people, right? Those are the ones mm -hmm. in front of kids every day. Um, the next thing that we did was that we put liter literacy coaches in those schools alongside teachers to help them transfer this theory they were learning in professional development to actual practice in a non-evaluative way to give them feedback on their instruction to model lessons for them, um, to help them identify resources that were aligned to the science of reading. So we did the support on the ground. This was the first time that our state agency had supported schools in that way. We were seeing it as, as an auditing arm, like everyone thinks of the State Department. <laughs> You're coming into our building to tell us what we're doing wrong. Uh, but in this case, we said, we want children reading by the end of third grade, and we're going to help you get there. And that began the buy-in, right? So professional development, coaching. We also adopted an assessment system. We don't know what to do for kids unless we know where they are. The same way that we began this conversation about data, um, you know, I always say that teachers are superheroes, uh, especially kindergarten teachers. Imagine, you know, you get a class of 20, in some cases 25 little people coming into your classroom. Some have gone to Head Start, some have gone to pre-K, some are coming from home, right? And you have to identify where they are. You can't just start on page one. 
Um, so you, you have to assess students. We adopted a universal assessment system um, to gather data on students. And then again, we empower teachers to be able to do something about it. When you, when you know a child is struggling, what do you do? Um, so we empower them to do that. And then also professional development in other areas, just in pedagogy, just in how do you teach, right? How do you have classroom management to make sure that you're able to teach in the class? Um, so this was this, the first time that we had a state-led approach. There had been pilots, right? There had been some movement in districts where we would have partners who would come in and say, oh, we're gonna train teachers and we're going to look into leadership and we're going to do these things. But when they left, after their funding was you know, gone or the three-year commitment was over, then it seems like sometimes the schools went back to, their, to the, the, the same old thing, right? So we knew with this that we wanted sustainability. And the way that you do that, again, is to invest what you can in teachers and the processes um, and the administrators. Because we often take for granted that our administrators have all they need. But we have to support the people who are, who are in there supporting our little people every day. So, so the legislation was actually adopting the phonics-based teaching standard, and then also the program to really implement it into the classroom, which included support of the teachers, the administrators, administration, the assessments, mm -hmm. et cetera. So and there was a full-blown with real measurements mm -hmm. of, of success that school had to report back on. So yeah. it was a, a complete comprehensive. And you have that blueprint. Right That's now right. that you've done it, it's a blueprint that can be done elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, clearly legislation really had a positive impact in, in Mississippi. Now, with the Invest in Kids program, Nate, can you tell us a little bit about where it's at right yep. now and what has been its impact in the last five years and where this legislation is at and how, how was it implemented also? Right, right. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I've often said that I don't think uh, there's anybody in the country except for maybe Miles, who's somewhere around here, uh, who thought that we could get a private school choice program passed in the state of Illinois of all places. Um, I think there's even fewer people, so fewer than none, that thought that the program would survive once it was implemented, given the attacks that have come uh, its way from um, teacher unions, from other legislators, and, and other groups who uh, don't want to see parents um, have the power to choose where their kids are educated. Uh, but thanks to the good work of um, a lot of people and a lot of families, a lot of school leaders coming down to the Capitol, meeting with state legislators, uh, we've, we've been able to hold at bay, I think, every single, thus far, every single attempt to shutter the program. Um, and we've brought converts along the way. So if you know, you know, some of the states that I mentioned who, that are really going big on, on school choice right now, Florida, Arizona, et cetera, they're probably you know, politically red states. We're obviously a politically blue state. Um, and we often say, oh, school choice is supported in a bipartisan way. But in most places, that, that, that support is very surface level. In Illinois, um, I, I'm proud to say that, that the Invest in Kids Act is a bipartisan uh, piece of legislation. There are uh, Democratic leaders in the General Assembly who uh, have led the way thus far for us to make sure that the program continues to survive, to make sure it doesn't find its way it, uh, into the, the budget at the last second. Um, uh, with a big old cut, and we even had the governor who ran in 2018 who said he would shutter the program as swiftly as possible. That was his quote at the time. When he ran this last year, he's, uh, he was asked on the record whether or not he supported the program, and he said yes. All of that, I think, is good momentum for where we are today because, uh, as I said, we're on, a, we're on a pilot, and the time, the clock is ticking at the end of this year, December 31st, 
2023, that's the last day that donors can contribute to the Invest in Kids program or, and receive a tax credit unless the General Assembly steps in uh, to, to what we're saying, remove the sunset, make the program permanent. Um, there are people in here who know the numbers probably a little better than, than myself, but last I checked, the program had raised more than $300 million over the last few years, uh, provided more than 30,000 scholarships to kids in virtually every legislative district of the state. Um, so, you know, Illinois school children are being supported by this, by this program, and I think that's what, where the conversation needs to stay, is who's being supported by the program, not who's getting a tax credit, not what's happening to everybody else, but the fact that 30,000 families in this state have received a scholarship to attend a school um, that works better for them, that they're not being bullied in, perhaps, that they have access to fine arts, perhaps, that, or that they're just in a, in a different setting that, that works better for them. Um, so that's where we're at. We have, uh, I think, a long road ahead these next few months with the General Assembly in Springfield to make sure that we, uh, that, that we leave Springfield with this program intact. Um, and I think it'll take everybody's help in this room to get it done. Yeah, so the program is called the Invest in right. Kids um, Act, and it's a tax credit program. And the implementation of the program is led by Empower Illinois, which is the one, the nonprofit agency that collects donations that are tax deductible, and then really it works with the schools to distribute uh, the scholarships to the low-income families, right? It's yep. for low-income families who need a scholarship to attend a school that is a better fit uh, for their child. Uh, so, so that's a that's a good good uh, good news so yeah. um, so that's great I mean it's a, also it's an ongoing effort really to kind of provide parents with the resources to find the right learning environments for their kids and there's nothing more empowering for a family than to feel like you are giving your child what they need to to learn so we heard about what's going on in Illinois in terms of school choice Kim Yona are you involved here in replicating the successes that you've had in Mississippi, in Illinois. Tell us about yeah, that. So I've, I've had conversations for the last couple of years with um, stakeholders in Illinois about um, opportunities to adopt possibly a comprehensive approach the way in which Mississippi and Florida and other states have done. Um, there was legislation, I believe maybe a year ago, that really didn't get off the ground. Um, right now, I believe there's dyslexia legislation um, for consideration, which involves universal screeners and identifying kids early and those with characteristics of dyslexia, making sure that we're providing them with the support that they need. Um, so with the Illinois Early Literacy Coalition, um, we continue to meet monthly, um, looking at language um, for legislation, um, and that's just still where we are. Um, we hope to you know, be able to get some support for it here in Illinois, um, you've read some of the statistics. You know, I have others, um, other statistics about just even on the national assessment, on the NAEP assessment, um, black students in Illinois are performing exactly where they were 20 years ago um, here. Um, and, and also the same for Hispanic students. And, and lower than Mississippi. Yes, right? Mississippi's oh. uh, black students have, are perform, outperforming Illinois by one full grade level on oh. um, their fourth grade students. Um, and I always say I believe that it, it had to happen in Mississippi um, because we're, you know, always a state that has always been at the bottom of every um, education measure. Um, but to show that you can be black and learn how to read, you can be Hispanic and learn how to read, you can be low income and learn how to read, 
as long as there is an intentional approach to making sure that um, that students get there, um, then Illinois can can do it as well. And, and again, it's about it's about all kids. As a nation, as we mentioned pre-pandemic, we weren't doing so well. Only a third of the students, especially in fourth grade, reading were reading proficiently. Um, the same is now true post-pandemic. So we can't blame a lot of things on the pandemic, right? Um, but we know that there's a lot of work to be done. There are parents who are now more aware than ever of the um, abilities of their child because they had to sit next to them while they were on Zoom learning how to read or learning those things. Um, so this, is, this takes all of us and reading struggles don't discriminate, um, which is what Peggy Carr says. Uh, reading struggles do not discriminate. Um, so yeah, looking forward to yeah. hopefully um, supporting Illinois in this, in this way. Because there is a blueprint that That's works, right. so it's kind of an easy implementation. So, well, not easy, but it's feasible. It's not reinventing right. the wheel, right? That's right. Um, so I'd like to point out that, in, uh, and I found this also in the Policy Circle Literacy Brief, that a 2020 National Council on Teacher Quality Report found that 51% of the school were not teaching uh, font reading using phonics. 51% of schools in the nation. So which is why so many states are adopting laws to implement this teaching standards and it's called the science of reading. And to date, as of July, I think there are like 30 states that have implemented uh, teaching phonics as a reading policy. Mm -hmm. so, um, so this is something that is ongoing right now. So I'd love, before we close out, you know, I, I would love for you guys to say, you know, what are the states to watch? This is School Choice Week, and uh, it's a new year. So what are the states to watch? And maybe also some advice that you have for those of us who want to really get involved in, uh, in, in uh, this initi these initiatives. Well, I'll start by saying one of the states to watch is, is Virginia. Uh, Virginia passed the Early Literacy Act last year um, for kindergarten through third grade, and we know that a lot of the read by three laws are, are, are very intentional because students transition from learning to read to reading to learn. The text uh, gets more complex when they enter fourth grade. So almost immediately, Virginia has now put forth a bill that says we want to expand that to fourth through eighth grade. Um, as we are preparing our K-3 teachers, administrators, students, parents, and families, we want to get ready and get prepared for um, those. And especially we know there are students who are sitting in middle school classrooms who are struggling to read. We have to make sure that teachers know what to do um, uh, when they get there. Um, Louisiana is, is a state to watch. They, last year, they passed a law banning three queuing, and three queuing is the, the method or the systems model that goes along with this whole language or balanced literacy, the non-phonics approach. Um, so they passed a law to ban that. So if there's any curricula that's in their schools in Louisiana that includes prompting students to guess when they're reading words or using pictures to try to identify what the words say, then it's going to be banned. It's, it's, it's banned in Louisiana. They're only the second state in the nation to do it. Arkansas was the first state um, to do it. Um, and South Carolina. South Carolina has a new state superintendent who was fired up about literacy. Um, they adopted a literacy law some years ago. Uh, they haven't been seeing the success with it because again, adopting the law is the first step. Implementation is key. Um, so now that we have new leadership in South Carolina, um, they're really looking forward to revamping their law uh, and making it very, very strong. And 
um, making sure that it includes and is grounded in the science of reading. So very excited about some Great. of those states that you don't normally hear, hear about. about. Um, but they're slowly and quietly making ways. And you're involved in supporting these initiatives. Yes. So um, you can, Kimiona, how can people follow you and follow your work? Is it? Uh, yes, well, I'm at Excel and Ed, uh, Kimiana underscore Burke on Twitter, and I'm usually just Kimiana. Uh, if you can spell it right, uh, then uh, you can find it me. It will be in the show notes. Yes. So, Nate, what are the say to watch? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, last time I looked, Rough, potentially 30 states um, that could pass meaningful school choice policies this year. Um, that's probably on the high end, but uh, uh, Kimiana mentioned some of the states we, we don't often hear about um, often, uh, but in addition to Florida, in addition to Arizona, uh, like I said earlier, Oklahoma has a, you know, Governor Stitt there, the Secretary of Education, Ryan Walters, they're very aggressive in wanting to uh, provide school choice to Oklahoma's kids. Um, Utah just passed a school choice bill this last week, of all places. Um, so, you know, Utah, Oklahoma, Texas, we're still waiting for Texas to do something, anything in school choice. Um, this might be the year, I don't know, but we'll have to see. Um, but yeah, then there's you know there's a ton of other opportunities. But I would also say watch Illinois. Um, I I feel very good about um, the chances that we have to to, to cement the Investing Kids Act uh, this year um, and get it and get it done by May. Um, so I, I I continue to say watch Illinois. I usually get nervous when the Illinois General Assembly is in session because you know you never know where you're going to get there. But um, on on the Investing Kids front, I do feel good there. Great. And Nate, uh, people can follow you on uh, yeah. Instagram? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram. Um, you can also follow me on uh, Twitter, MileNateHoff, uh, only mildly controversial, um, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> well, great. Um, so I hope that Kimiona and Nate really lit a spark in you with a desire to uh, get involved in promoting teaching standards and school choice. And what I'd like to do is invite Anthony Holder, who is the CEO of Empower Illinois, to kind of share really some concrete things that people can do uh, today to really promote um, school choice in Illinois. And Anthony, you want to come? Just do it later. Yeah. Great. Well, Great. Th thank Come you so here, much, Sylvia. So you're in the camera. Am, am I is, yeah. is the lighting okay? Good. <laughs> <laughs> I never have to worry about that. But Sylvia, thank you so much, and Nathan and Kimiona for your inspiring remarks. I think uh, what my takeaway from from your conversation here today is that um, there's a lot that unites us here tonight. I think we all believe in the unlimited potential of children. Uh, we believe that good public policy can help them thrive. And uh, what I heard from Nathan and Kimiona, certainly from you, Sylvia, in our conversations, is that we're people of action. We can and must do everything we can do right now to ensure that kids get their best fit school and the best chance to thrive into the future. W one of those opportunities really is facing us right now here in Illinois. It is an existential moment. The Invest in Kids Act tax credit scholarship program, a five-year pilot, a one-year extension. We've got to convince lawmakers to do something before December 31st. 2023. That's 11 months away, um, and it's a big lift. So we're going to need your help. And you're probably wondering to yourself, well, well, how could I help? That's a great question. I've got some opportunities. So the first one is, I, I'd, I'd invite you to consider making a tax credit scholarship donation. As Sylvie mentioned, uh, these are 75% uh, tax credits. So if you give $1,000, $750 comes right off the top of your Illinois state 
income tax liability. You're not going to find a better philanthropic deal in the state, I guarantee. And you get to direct it uh, for scholarships uh, for kids from low-income communities who want to attend a school that you can designate. So if you've got a favorite school, a favorite kind of school, a favorite network of school, uh, you can make sure the dollars go there. So the first one is to donate. The second one is to advocate. Your voices matter. Everyone's voices matter, but only if you use it. So uh, you need to let your lawmakers know that this is a program that you want to see continue. And uh, we've got some great resources to help you do that. The third thing, tell a friend. Just one. And then ask them to tell a friend. And so on and so on. So three things. Consider a gift. Advocate. Tell a friend. And just to help you remember, we've got these uh, handy-dandy little business cards uh, around. They've got QR codes on them. There's also some larger signs that have QR codes. You can scan it with your phone, take a handful of these, and hand them out. Uh, you can do all three of those things uh, with all the resources that are available uh, on this card. So again, Sylvie, thank you so much for the invitation. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all.